0: Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Today we've got a live podcast that I recorded out of Trip Fuller's event, The Theology Beer Camp, with Dr. John Cobb. And I'm going to have to give you a little bit of heads up about that one. Uh, but I'll tell you about that in just one second. First, let me tell you about the Missions Resource Network. Now, it's a ministry that helps disciples make disciples worldwide. Now, they do this by a couple ways. Through mobilizing, casting vision to help advance God's work together, equipping, helping churches make disciples worldwide, preparing, forming disciples who make disciples, and caring, keeping disciple makers effective and whole. So, if you are someone who is, let's say, a missionary, this is a great group of people, that's there to support you. If you need help, coaching, follow-up, pastoral care, Missions Resource Network. If you are a church that's looking for some leadership direction on how to be incorporated into the global mission game, Missions Resource Network is the place to go. And if you are a ministry leader at a church in a missions department, get to know Missions Resource Network. They're a great resource for you. Uh, their information is in the show notes, but mrnnet dot org is their website. Now to the podcast at hand. John Cobb and I have a fun discussion. The background for this is Trip Fuller said, hey, you don't know anything about process theology, come to a live podcast and talk to John Cobb, who's like a guru in process theology. And I said, Uh sure, sounds fun. Um, but I don't really know a whole lot about. So this is kind of like an introduction to process theology which trip fuller loves now you're going to hear there's a few hangups that uh, me and dr cobb have a uh, few things that we make different choices on uh, you know like the deity of jesus uh, we might read that a little bit differently so this will be a podcast that will definitely be discussed at length in the wrap-up show at the end of the month with our sidekick jonathan storm so here we go enjoy Missions Resource Network. Don't forget about them.
1: Get ready for some awesome. It's newsworthy with Norsworthy.
0: That's a that's a great introduction, Trip. Thank you. I might need to get, get you to never do that again. Um, well, I'm glad to be here. It's nice meeting you. Glad to meet you. Yeah, which mic do you want him to use? Handheld or the?
1: Should I be using this? Okay. Okay. And this working, yeah.
0: All right. So how does it make you feel when Trip refers to you as the other JC that needs to be accepted into people's hearts? Do you feel like there's a very good chance you will end up in hell with Trip just because of that? Or is God's grace going to cover even his egregious transgressions?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm glad to go wherever Trip goes.
0: (laughs) That's a, that's a very good mentor, and I, I appreciate you doing that. I think we're all, we're all in this together trying to help Trip out. So it's, it's really a team effort, so thank you. Uh, you obviously bring a lot of wisdom to his life. Uh, I'm trying to work on his hair care. All together, we can help him out. So he is uh, Captain Process Theology, and he's trying to convert me to process theology. Um, I... I read this book that he's never heard of before. Uh, it's called The Bible. And so...
1: And we, if you pay attention, then you are already a good process theologian. Well, let's
0: get, that's perfect. So let's, let's start with that. So it seems like there are a couple options for the motivation towards process theology. That there is the scientific uh, direction, the impulse from that. And then also there's a theological uh, underpinning for it. Would you say those two equally uh, affect how people come to process theology, or is one stronger than the other?
1: Well, I would describe both of them as theological. Yes, sir. Okay. But uh, if you're asking, in my case, there's no question but that I encountered the Bible before I inquired, encountered science or universities or anything else Mm -hmm. and uh, that
0: would be primary Mm -hmm. so if you're going to give the can we do 30 second or 45 second just this is what process theology is to start the conversation i like the the popping of popcorn in the background too (laughs) i think that makes it sound even more entertaining um
1: well um it's just a purely formal definition Process theology is a theology that has shifted the philosophical basis
0: from substances to processes. Okay. How would you describe substances? Okay.
1: The the Indo-European languages are structured around substance thinking. So this is the reason process theology has an uphill battle. Okay. Okay. Uh, Substances are things like cups that one can see and touch. And uh, substance thought is based on the idea that everything is like the things that we see and touch. Mm -hmm. And so you can move the cup from here to here. It stays the same cup. You can fill it up or empty it, it stays the same cup. So a substance is something that is not in itself affected by its relationships with Mm -hmm. other things.
0: And this is where the word immutability comes in.
1: The the substance is immutable, that's Mm -hmm. right. Of course, most substances have accidents. That's that's the philosophical language. Uh, One... One could take this cup and mark on it with this pen, and I would have changed the, the color of the visible features of the cup. Okay, but it would be still be the same cup.
0: And that's an accident.
1: That's that. That's the philosophical language. Oh, okay. Know? Subject's attribute would be maybe a better term. Oh,
0: okay, because when I think of accidents, I was talking to <laughs> Tripp's parents once, and they described him as one. <laughs> Um, I got him to laugh on that one. We're off to a good start. So the idea that that God can't change, that God is immutable, um, from my simple understanding as a pastor, uh-huh. comes from the uh, the Greco Roman expectations for deities, yes, and that got transferred to God, the Yahweh, the Jewish, the Judeo Christian God, and. Would you push back and say that's not a claim that the story of the Christian story would bring along when they're describing their God?
1: Well, uh, Hebrew thought is not nearly as substantial. Okay. Uh, if, If you're trying to understand what are the most real things, you might start, and I think Hebrews tend to start, with hearing rather than sight. Hmm. And if you take the world as the world of hearing, imagine you're blind from birth. I think I would have a very hard time explaining to you what a substance was. Okay. You'd appeal to touch in the experience of things, and you might get there. But what you hear are are words, and that word isn't among the things you hear. That word doesn't sit around to be examined again. Hmm. You see, when you hear these are events, mm-hmm. it's, hap- it's what's happening. And the Bible doesn't really deal with the analysis of what an individual thing is, mm-hmm. but it deals with events. It's a history book. Mm-hmm. It's a story. Stories are ev- accounts of events and what happens. mm mm-hmm. So, if the metaphysics of substances and the metaph- metaphysics of events are different. Okay. But because the Bible is more on the side of events, you see, mm-hmm. theology ought to be able to be more biblical mm-hmm. by paying attention to that. But it has stuck with the substances ever, ever since it moved into Greek and Latin.
0: Yeah. That, that's one of the things that theology and trip have in common. They both should be more biblical. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> when you say that the Hebrew thought is more hearing uh, and less visual, yes. How would a more visual understanding of deity of God shape the way that we understand what exactly God is?
1: Well, it leads to thinking of God as a substance, mm-hmm. and okay. and that's then you can talk about well, what are the attributes of this substance? Mm-hmm. And what is the essence of this substance in distinction from the attributes? Okay. That, there's no discussion of any topic like that in the Bible.
0: Mm-hmm. How would you help people understand that when they hear descriptions of God? Uh, you know, God is mighty to save, God is strong. Uh, these phrases that are all throughout um, mm-hmm. psalms of describing the character of God, uh, the things that the, the Jewish people would say describing who God is, how would you help them understand that that isn't the fullness would you yeah well in the first
1: place on the whole when you read the bible you read about what god has done mm-hmm. so events are what you're talking about
0: so obviously the like when you begin the 10 commandments i'm the god who delivered you yes. from egypt like yes. that's the event that's describing who god is
1: that's right
0: would you say the secondary pieces because they do there are descriptions of god that you find the Jewish people saying, but those are secondary to the event of who yeah. God is.
1: And, and give me a couple of examples so I'm sure I'm answering your question. Yeah, yeah.
0: for example, like, if you read in the Psalms, they're yeah. going to describe God. They're going to they're praise God for... Um, it's generally for what God does. Mm-hmm. Yes, like, obviously, the main understanding of who God is, God is the one who delivered you from Egypt, Yes. right? Yeah. Uh, so you're going to understand it as event, and those other descriptions are going to be secondary
1: yeah, and there are not so many of those other descriptions. Agreed. Yeah, Agreed. even they are talking about what God has done in the history and what God mm-hmm. has done in people's lives. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I don't object myself to, to talking about what God is in God's self, mm-hmm. so I'm not opposing that kind of thing at all. But it's just uh, I, I, I want to break the habit of doing Greek thinking And and imposing it on the Bible. Yes.
0: Which, that seems to be Mm -hmm. one of the biggest critiques um, uh, in the open theist world. Uh, Mm -hmm. Years ago when I was going through seminary, um, I read a handful of books on open theism. And that was one of the big critiques of the uh, omnipotent, uh, the immutable, all those things are characteristics that were added on to God that the the Bible would put in.
1: The Bible... how you get immutability out of the Bible, I can't imagine.
0: Yeah, that'd be difficult. God
1: is constantly doing things, and things are happening, and mm-hmm. it's just the sequence of events in which God's hand is seen, mm-hmm. surely, involve change.
0: Well, it, it seems that our Calvinist friends would look <clears throat> at those texts in which God grieved or uh, God regretted that he you know, made... Su- And I said he, because I'm allowed to around you, because you're okay with using masculine pronouns for God, right?
1: As long as we're sure that the male is Abba rather than even father or king or something else. Okay, so my
0: feminist friends, if they're upset at me for doing that, I will send them to your email address. Deal. But the description of God regretting what he did, God mourning um, they would say those are, what was the word, anthropomorphisms, where God pr- basically pretends to be like us. That's right. How, how do you respond to that, that critique?
1: Well, I think whenever you, you go through a writing and say, well, half of it is correct, but half of it, this doesn't mean what it says, you need to ask, consider what are the assumptions that are operative in that? And if you think you can start out with the assumption that God is immutable, and then every time the Bible talks about God doing something or repenting, 40 times God repents, which seems to be rather strong language so for, an, for an immutable God. You say, oh, but it doesn't really mean that. Well, you can salvage something, but you surely are going to lose a lot in the process. Mm-hmm.
0: It seems that you're willing to step in and make claims about certain texts that are not consistent with your other claims you're making about texts when you do that.
1: I am certainly not one who says every verse in the Bible is to be taken as factual and exact and so forth and so on. I don't see how you can possibly do it because certainly when you have three synoptic gospels, they, they talk about the same event, but you can't, they can't both be exactly accurate. I mean, mm-hmm. that to me, that's just a waste of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that, they, uh, that all three of the Synoptic Gospels tell us a sufficiently similar story that we can get a pretty good idea of what Jesus was like.
0: Agreed. With and what it, he said. And that's why I really don't like John that much, because J- John's just kind of <laughs> weird to me. Um. So, yeah, I agree. The synoptics are all we need. Um, Okay, so when back in my days when I was reading open theism, it seemed like one of the major motivations for the claims of the open theist camp is to get away from God and suffering. Theodicy seemed to be driving that. Theodicy is a very important issue. I think Sanders, uh, who wrote the book, uh, The God Who Risks, uh starts that book with the story of like a car accident or some tragedy yeah. and trying to rationalize a god who's loving with letting that happen and so god seems to be in some ways let off the hook a little bit because god didn't know it was going to happen now as a pastor uh this last month I've had people in my office who've uh who they woke up one morning their son's heart just stopped beating as a 25 year old I had one family uh who's talking about their son who died in a car accident with a drunk driver um one family whose son committed suicide. And I don't see that really making any of them feel a whole lot better. Uh, Just to say that, well, that surprised God too. It it doesn't really fix the problem at all. And I feel uh, from a pastoral context, any theology which claims to all of a sudden make God and suffering not a major issue is overselling the function of what their theology can do. When, so as I'm hearing a theology trying to be built around, let's, let's soften the pain of suffering, I feel like it's always going to come up short. Uh, when you're doing process theology, it doesn't sound like that's the major impetus for what you're doing. Uh, or, or am I misunderstanding yeah. you? No, I, I, I do think
1: that holding God responsible for every terrible thing that happens leads to a terrible view of God. Mm-hmm. So I do feel strongly that. And suffering is certainly one of the features of the world, especially totally, uh, what I say, arbitrary suffering. Mm-hmm. So I am interested in dealing with that problem, but I don't think of process theology primarily as something to be appealed to just on those occasions when someone is suffering. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, that it's very important to be clear about what in your own life is what God is doing in your life and what, other, what is happening because of other influences and other forces.
0: How would you help someone differentiate those two things? What is God and what is outside of God in mm-hmm. your life?
1: Well, uh, a great deal that happens in my life can be explained by the mechanistic model. Can. And that I wouldn't. I mean, I don't mean God has nothing to do with the mechanism, but God is not the one who's doing. Mm -hmm. Who is who is doing it? A great deal that happens in my life is due to the influence of other people. Mm -hmm. Some of the things that happen in my life are due to my own decisions. So, what is God doing? Well, God is, is liberating me, giving me the freedom to make choices. Because that is not something that the, mechani- the mechanism can do. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that another human being can do. Uh, so, I, I, that would be an example. Okay the particular dimension of my experience that I feature in the book is the sense of being called. That I feel that there is something operative in my life that is pulling me in one direction rather than another sometimes ag- rather against most of the other forces that are operative in my life. Okay. And, uh, I, I mean, this is a huge conversation. I can't give you an exhaustive answer quickly. But those would be examples mm-hmm. of, of where I think we can identify the working of grace in our lives.
0: Okay, that's good. <clears throat> so if we're trying to put um, open theism, which I've heard some people describe as process light, Yes. On the table, and then process theology um, i 'm trying to figure out how we would differentiate the two. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like one of the ways is open theism can maintain some of those uh, Greek expectations for God that that God is all knowing and all powerful by making the move of open theism seems to be this ontological argument that it 's not possible to know the future because it hasn 't happened yet. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems as I'm understanding you here describe process theology, you're pulling those Greek expectations completely off the table. And so Mm -hmm. you don't pause them as much to say that God doesn't know the future because the future isn't there yet to know, but you would just take that whole all-knowing thing off the table. Is that fair? Am I getting you right?
1: Well, of course, we, we process theologians make exactly that same point in the same way the open theologians do.
0: Okay, so it would be the same? I, don't, uh, I think that the distinction
1: between open theology and process theology is that process theology arose in liberal contexts mm-hmm. and uh, open theism arose in conservative contexts. Okay. And um, some open theists are not willing to give up omnipotence. And when I press on that, they say, well, it's just too deeply rooted in the tradition to give up. Okay. Hmm. Now that's a conservative attitude. I'm not, I don't mean to be disrespecting it, but uh, we process theologians have not felt that bound to tradition. But other open theologians, I, I don't know any doctrinal difference between between me and Tom Ord. Hmm. I think he writes well for a different audience from the audience I primarily write for. Mm
0: -hmm. What do you think Mm -hmm. happens when you're not able to give up omnipotence? Mm -hmm. Do you you see uh, that eventually you're going to be on train tracks that take you different places because omnipotence is still on the table for the open theist camp?
1: Well, uh, you see, I... I think within open theism that uh, the next generation isn't quite as stuck on that particular point. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see. I don't think you're on tra- on dangerous train tracks as long as the movement is. Is to. To give uh, the biblical view priority over philosophical view.
0: It, it, Can you it, say that again? It, okay.
1: If we will give the biblical point of view priority over the philosophical, we will give up omnipotence. Hmm. And it just takes a while for conservatives to do that. I mean, I don't don't mean that in a critical way. I just mean change
0: is not easy. (laughs) (laughs) I like that you're you're saying, I'm just going to wear him down. Eventually, (laughs) we're going to win out. the Bible but, is going to wear them down. But that's your thing. Your, your <laughs> argument is that the Bible would get them away from omnipotence. Yes. And is, is the understanding that God is willing to give up power so that he no, can... God
1: doesn't give up power.
0: Well, don't you think the incarnation is God giving up power? God did not consider equality with man something to be grasping, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of... Like, isn't that all the steps down? Well, if, if you understand
1: uh, Jesus... As having been a part of God, I mean, in other words, if if you follow the logic of some of the classical creeds, then that makes some sense. I don't think you find any of that in the Bible. Tell me more. <laughs> I, I think that in that, so far as the New Testament is concerned, Jesus is the Christ. Christ is the anointed one. Mm-hmm. Christ is the expected one. Christ is the one who fulfills what, what God has to give to the Jewish people. And then it turns out through, Christ, through Jesus that it's has relevance to all of us. Mm-hmm. But the idea, the later idea that uh, something exists in heaven, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm leaving it because it's it's all it's very confused in the whole tradition, mm-hmm. which first has its existence there. It's pre-existence mm-hmm. that then comes to earth. Uh, I, I don't think that is... The, I, I don't think anybody had thought that. Certainly not in the Synoptic Gospels.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You... And I really don't think in John either, although that would be a, a more interesting discussion. And Paul, I don't think, has any idea of that kind.
0: So, you know, Paul's language, <laughs> I believe it's Colossians 2, that in him the fullness of deity dwells. Uh, like the John 1 text, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, through whom all things created, nothing that has been made was made without him. That uh, that,
1: that is spoken about. Oh gosh, yes. The logos, yes, yes.
0: which I, I'm—I understand that to be Jesus is the logos. Is that a move that you wouldn't make?
1: No, I, I think that that in Jesus, the, you see, the logos is in everything, mm-hmm. and and in Jesus it is more—it is present in a fullness that it is not in other things. So okay. if 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 you use the incarnation language and say God is incarnate in all of us. And I think that's, the Logos is God, okay? Okay. Yeah. Th- then that's fine. I think the Logos is incarnate in all of us, and there mm-hmm. is a certain fullness of incarnation mm-hmm. in Jesus. That, that's what I, how I read the first chapter of John. Gotcha. And, and when the Logos is present in that greater fullness than elsewhere, it doesn't make Jesus less human, or doesn't mean that Jesus is half human and half God or something like that. It makes Jesus the most human Mm -hmm. there ever has been. Fair enough. But uh, the the doctrine that the later church came to distinguish Jesus from other human beings with a doctrine that a divine reality, which preexisted and was not otherwise present in people, came to earth. I, I just, I mean, there are a couple of verses that can be read that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I mean, I'm a Pauline Christian, and uh, for Paul, Jesus was born in a normal way. There's no virgin birth.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's very explicit about Jesus' descended. Mm-hmm. In the flesh from david through through the male line mm-hmm. and uh, to 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 attribute to Jesus then an ontologically different status from other people
0: so do you think a yeah. and i don 't want to say high Christology because that sounds derogatory to someone else 's position yeah. on Christology, but can I say conservative Christology? A conservative Christology, do you think that is unable to fit in process theology? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a difference of uh, of open theism, which wants to maintain maybe what some might call a higher Christology. Mm-hmm. Is that a difference?
1: That would be the difference between some process theologians and some uh, some open theologians.
0: Okay, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th-
1: and, and I think that there's a wide range of, Wide range of Christology. What I strongly polemicize against is the way in which the creeds have sort of replaced the Bible. You're, you you're read the Bible from now. the perspective of the creeds rather than the creeds from the perspective of the Bible. And then even faith has been transformed. Mm-hmm. Faith is believing on the authority of the church statements which no one quite understands. Mm. And uh, that has nothing whatsoever to do with the idea of faith in Paul. Hmm.
0: I come from the Church of Christ, and we don't do creeds, so I'm, we're cool right there. Okay. I mean, our Catholic friend in the back, he's probably crying, but um, <laughs> you and I are good friends right here. Uh, if you would just say that you also think instrumental music is bad, then we're perfect. Um, I'll take that as an amen. <laughs> I much prefer to say Positively, I
1: think there's some wonderful music, music that takes place without instruments. Okay, I'll take that. Yeah, you count. You're in. Uh, you understand. I'm not. I mean, I think you can't avoid creeds, mm-hmm. but uh, that is. <clears throat> there are issues that arise in the ordinary life of the Christian faithful community, mm-hmm. which need to be discussed and resolved. If you're not going to split the church, then you have to come up with something that everybody can agree on. Agreed, yeah. And I think that the creeds were pretty good examples of that. And, of course, then you have to expect everybody to accept them. So I I do understand the way in which that developed. Mm -hmm. But for that to replace the Gospels as the way of understanding Mm -hmm. Jesus is just, for me, a terrible distortion. And especially because I'm, I have this uh, dislike of being told to believe something when I don't know what it means,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I have that dislike in the field of uh, physics today. I hmm. think Einstein said some things that nobody understands, but everybody is supposed to believe. Hmm. I think that's a serious mistake. I think physics is, and anyway. I, it, this isn't, I'm not just picking on the ancient church. Mm-hmm. But now, it, modern it, physics too, that's good. Oh, uh,
0: uh, uh, it thunder. happens all
1: over the place.
0: Can, okay, can we go back to, um, <laughs> <clears throat> let's go back to the, to the story of Jesus. Um, yes. Uh, in Crucified God, Multman makes the argument that, uh, you know, something happens, God was changed in the, not just the, the, the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. Like that. that is a, the central understanding uh, moment of God, if you want to know who God is, you look at Jesus on the cross. Um, and how, how would you understand what happened during death, burial, resurrection? Are, are, are we cool with resurrection, or do we need to have a... No, I'm... I'm You're I'm, cool with that? Yeah. Okay, okay. I mean,
1: I might not mean the same thing by it that somebody else <laughs> means by it, but I certainly affirm the resurrection.
0: I'll just pretend like you said yes to that question. Um, <laughs> What do you think happened? Uh, So the process, God's involvement with humanity, what happened in that uh, event?
1: Well, uh, my one um, dislike with the way in which you put the the choice is that it once again tends to belittle what Jesus taught.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a misnomer if if you think the only thing that happened in the life of Jesus it, is is it, the death, He's the whole, the whole thing. But is. When you make, I mean, lot, lots
1: of people got crucified. Mm-hmm. Now, Jesus' crucifixion has a special meaning and a special effect, but that's only because of who Jesus was. So I want to begin with Jesus. Okay. And then, of course, the fact that he was willing to suffer on a cross for the sake of, all the people who benefit from it, mm-hmm. is a very important part of who Jesus was. Yes, sir. But then to make this, to abstract this from what Jesus had said and what the reasons that he was crucified and all of that, mm-hmm. I think is Part of the distortion that has taken place. And I blame Anselm especially for this.
0: He is the worst. Just the worst. Him and (laughs) Tripp. So I I am a
1: non-Anselmian Christian. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, let's substitute that for something else. Um, I'll be here all day. Um, Okay, so we're not making uh, the move that Keller made in the interview with New York Times where he wanted to elevate the death and, and... that to be central and to disregard the teaching. Okay. We don't want to do that. No. Um, but you said you're Pauline Christian. Yes. You know, Paul says to the church of Corinth, what I received, I passed on to you as a first importance that Christ Jesus. Yes. Died for your sins, you know, according to scripture, like all, that. It mattered to Paul. I think that in, in Paul's case, at
1: least I, I believe the, the clearest statement is that he was even willing to die for the sake of sinners. Other people die for righteous people. Mm -hmm. But Jesus was willing to give his life for the sake of people who did not deserve it whatsoever.
0: And that's Romans right there. And Paul obviously makes that statement there. Um, And I I think I, I take that as his
1: central vision of what is so wonderful and amazing about the crucifixion.
0: Hmm. You're saying that Jesus is willing to die for sinners. That's the most important part of it,
1: and that's right. I mean, what I I don't think that Jesus Himself thought that by His death He was getting the sins of forget of all these sins forgiven by God. Hmm. I think that's. I mean, I, I mean. Paul said some things that can certainly be understood that way.
0: Now we already established that I think John's gospel is kind of weird; it makes me uncomfortable. But yes. there is a section there: "Behold, the Lamb of the world, or, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world." Uh-huh. Like that's in there, and so yes, uh,
1: no, I, I, I agree that is in John.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so are you to just like we're just going to put John on the side? He's like uh-huh. the. I've got a redheaded brother. I do the same thing with him. Like, he's just Uh, there in the family, but, you know.
1: Well, I I mean, different parts of the New Testament play different functions, okay? Mm -hmm. If we are asking about Jesus and what Jesus taught, I don't think we go to John.
0: Okay. If
1: we're asking about the spiritual movements that developed very early in the church, and that have very positive aspects, Mm -hmm. as well as some less positive ones. I mean, everything is ambiguous. <laughs> then I think John is a very rich and potent source for spiritual, for Christian spirituality.
0: Okay, so if I'm understanding you, Jesus' life, his teaching, his death, uh, it communicates that Jesus is a chosen one who's willing to suffer and die for sinners. That's right. Okay. Now, obviously... Some would tweak that a little bit and have some strong feelings about resurrection being a central part of it. Um, But we don't... I I think resurrection,
1: if if there had been no resurrection experiences, there would probably have been no church. Okay. It would have faded. I mean, Jesus had some followers, but I think that it would have not lasted very long.
0: You, you really need to have that closing act, like your your last bit has to be pretty yeah. strong. Well,
1: so that... I mean, Paul is so important, and of course it was Paul attributes to his experience on the road to Damascus, his turnaround. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, without Paul, I that would have been a Christian movement. Mm-hmm. But I think that without the experience that other disciples had, had of Jesus—you know—if if there hadn't been any of that, I don't mm-hmm. think there would have been. Yeah. So it's immensely important. Gotcha. And and it also, to me, uh, is a is a strong reason for believing that death is not the end. Mm-hmm.
0: So how does God's Nature. Okay, would we say God's nature is revealed in Jesus at all?
1: Yeah, I, I like More the so idea th- of revelation it, that Jesus reveals God. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So, how would you describe what God is revealed like he in is, Jesus?
1: He is revealed as being like the father of a baby, in terms of total love that is not in any way demanding. But this cares a great, a great deal and will do everything within God's power to draw forth a, a healthy maturity and express primarily in love for one another. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the beginning.
0: But. Yeah. So e- earlier in your presentation, you made the statement <clears throat> that God speaks twice in the life of Jesus. You have yeah. baptism this yeah. is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Yeah. And you have Transfiguration, which is
1: I think those are the only two, but I'm but I'm not a good biblical scholar. I may have missed something.
0: <laughs> well y- your initials are J C, so I feel like you're pretty tight with him. Uh, <laughs> what would you say those two things say about the character of God? If those are the two things that God's gonna speak up and say.
1: Well then, and then it says uh, But if we pay close attention to what Jesus says, I mean, listening is is attention to what Jesus says, we will have a a better understanding of God than we could get anywhere else. But we will also have an understanding of how we should live Mm -hmm. and what we should do.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Some people read the the baptism thing where God says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved. Um, As a, you know, a statement of, you know, God's uh, fatherly love, paternal closeness to, Mm -hmm. to to God's creation. When you say that, you know, God is Abba Mm
1: -hmm.
0: personal. Mm -hmm. uh, I've heard that your critique of using gender neutral pronouns for God is that it um, removes the closeness of God is that fair to say? Yes.
1: This, my, my Abba book is the first time I have broken with that. I waited for decades for the feminists to come up with a way of talking about God that, then- that would not destroy the closeness. But when they substitute, of course, at one stage, the proposal was the sovereign one. Well, to me, that's absolutely the wrong direction hmm. to go. And uh, they really have not found a, a successful way. Now, I think eventually we might be able to say, uh, in Jesus' day, to, for Jesus to have called God Mama instead of Papa, would have just made people think that was, he was preaching a different, an entirely different God, mm-hmm. but maybe that wouldn't be true now. Mm-hmm. So, but right now, I think we have to recover what Jesus actually did, and then try to think of how to degenderize it. Ken? So uh, I'm still looking for degenderizing, but uh, I couldn't just wait forever for.
0: You, you Some, had stuff, to, <laughs> something that
1: nobody was making any progress on. You had stuff
0: to do. You couldn't wait around for him. You got busy. We got to go forward with this. Now, as someone who <laughs> talks about God, you know, kind of for a living, I would like to say it is very awkward to always work around pronouns. Yes, they, it, it, it makes the job very difficult. But if that's what it takes to make people feel more welcome. And exactly. Exactly. I, I'm more than I, willing I've to do that. I've been doing
1: the same thing for... Decades. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. So God is the one who tells Jesus, this is my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. God is Abba. God is loving. God is caring. What does it say when God tells everyone, hey, listen to this guy, listen to Jesus? Mm -hmm. What does that say about God and Jesus?
1: It says that God is approving of what Jesus is saying. Mm -hmm. Strongly. I mean, that's not a minor, (laughs) minor expression of approval. Yes. Okay but it doesn't say that Jesus is god. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I don't I don't think anybody thought that at that time. Yeah. That kind of thinking came gradually. It's it's again like so many things you you, you, you begin in a, with a deep relational sense and then as time goes by you want to describe it in more and more Mm-hmm. highfalutin ways, but you can easily lose the, that, the true value of where you begin. Hmm. So when when we view God as the emperor of the cosmos, I don't know, that doesn't seem to have much to do with Abba to me.
0: Hmm. What is the, uh, the tension of God as creator, God as father? Do you feel like that... Uh-huh. Those are polar. I mean, if God is the creator of the world, the universe of of all that was, uh, and it seems like those two kind of are, if you want to get into this binary thinking of one is very imminent, one is very transcendent.
1: I think if we can once understand how God works in each individual and in every individual thing, we can see it has a creative character. Mm -hmm. and then we can understand God's creation of the whole universe from what we can understand more immediately. But this is not creation out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Creation out of nothing is not in the Bible. It's just one more of those impositions.
0: I think some would say, uh, you can't get there Genesis 1, Genesis 2. Obviously, Genesis 1, you know, Babylonian creation myth, or it's obviously in the background. The world was covered in water. It was void. Uh, it, it seems like Romans 1 is the ex Nilo text. Uh, how, how would you help someone understand that ex nihilo in Romans 1 isn't uh, out of nothing?
1: Quote, quote the verse, I'm not sure. I haven't thought of Romans 1 as being a text about creation. I'm not questioning it. I'm just acknowledging ignorance.
0: No, no, no. no. Fair enough. Um, I'm fairly certain that there's a text in Romans 1 that was more specific (laughs) about that. Um, Well, I don't know. I I don't have a text in front of me.
1: Um, If if neither of us knows it, I can't comment on it. (laughs) Well,
0: without having to pull open a Bible, I I don't want to... Anyway, fair enough. So you're going to make the argument that you don't have to think that... God, where is god 's role in creation let 's just ask that directly oh
1: well if 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 we just speak very broadly, there are two two notions of creation, okay one of them is a creation out of nothing and the other is f- form out of chaos mm-hmm. and I think form out of chaos was the
0: which is the genesis one text yes. form out of chaos, and that 's the one that yeah. uh, this text that I was just giving. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Uh, That's not, I think it's earlier that we're actually looking for. um, We can get into Bible study later. I know,
1: but but I just mean that's neutral with respect to different views of creation.
0: My lovely assistant just told me that, that you wrote a commentary on Romans. Yes. So I shouldn't debate Romans with you. Um, that note would have been helpful about an well, hour ago
1: I have, I have to say I wrote it with a New Testament scholar <laughs> I am not a New Testament scholar well you know what so, I didn't bring with me a New Testament scholar
0: sadly <laughs> that would have been very helpful okay so, so the story of creation is God overcoming chaos that's how you would, the Genesis 1 thing. Yes.
1: And, and then if we now feel the need in this day and age to relate this to what we know about the world from a scientific point of view, mm-hmm. I think we do need some philosophical analysis, and I get a lot of help from Whitehead in understanding mm-hmm. uh, how order develops. And, of course, for Whitehead at least, Order doesn't just mean that things happen in routine ways. Mm -hmm. Order means that things are ordered to a purpose, and the purpose is to develop more and more value in the universe. Mm -hmm. And if we see how God works to develop value in our lives today, then see if that same fundamental method could have worked over millions of years to bring order and to bring about... The enormous values that are present today that weren't there once—I mm-hmm. think it can be made a coherent view. But I do think that what the Psalmist view, when even when the cosmos of the South, Psalmist was nothing like as complex and vast as ours, it is marvelous to think that the one. Who works in us in such an intimate and significant personal way is also the one who works throughout this vast, vast cosmos. I hmm. think that it's part of the wonder that is also a part of Christian faith. Hmm. That's good.
0: Can I ask you a personal question? How old are you well.
1: I've been saying 91, but within two weeks, I'm going to be 92, so I'll say well, that. Well,
0: happy before. early birthday. <laughs> how, how are you 91? I, that's, there's no way Tripp's going to be this, this proficient at the age of 41, to be honest. Um <laughs> This is very impressive. Well, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me. I think all of us here uh, appreciate you being willing uh, to spend your morning with us. And Uh so I think we should close with a round of applause for the JC that's here today. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.